Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you for your holy Shabbat. We thank you for this opportunity you have given us to come together in spirit at the very least, uh, in unity, in your presence, in your power, and in uh, recognizing that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, is with us and among us wherever we are. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your word received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that you breathe new life into us and encourage us this Shabbat as we prepare to move into the week that lies ahead of us. And Lord, that you will encourage us and uplift us to be a light unto the nations around us. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. So this week we read Parsha Shemot, which comes from Exodus 1-1 through 6-1. And we officially dive into the journey of Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt and the beginning of the journey of Israel going to the promised land. Parsha Shemot sets up the narrative by opening with the revelation that, that Joseph and his uh, whole generation, his brothers, have now died, but that their descendants have grown into an extremely numerous people. Then we see one very particularly curious verse in Exodus, particularly Exodus 1 verse 8, says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I believe the estimates are that it's only been uh, about 70 years, give or take, from uh, uh, Joseph's death to this point. And so the, the idea that there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph has always been curious to me. Uh, it, it, it is... Um, it is figured that Israel was in Egypt from Jacob moving there to Israel leaving uh, in the great exodus and that this was approximately about 200 or so years total uh, from Jacob going into Israel coming out. So there was, uh, there has always been much discussion over how a Pharaoh could come to power that at this point didn't know who Joseph was. I mean, 70 years, give or take, from Joseph's death to, to this Pharaoh, the idea that a Pharaoh could rise in that period of time that would have no clue of his own people's history and of what this guy played in the role of their history is kind of mind-boggling. So my theory is that it isn't literally that Pharaoh had, no, had not heard of or never heard of Joseph, but rather that he just didn't care about who Joseph was or his connection to the Israelites who he had come to hate and fear. Their connection to one of the greatest men in Egyptians' history was of minimal consequence to this new Pharaoh. Uh, then we read the origin story, if you will, of Moses. Born at a point in time in which Egypt's fear and hatred of the Israelites was boiling over, and by law, he was meant uh, to be marked for death. But in a great feat of faith, hope, and trust, his parents placed him in a basket and parked that basket in the reeds of the river in hopes that by some great miracle uh, that the Lord would provide a means in which the child would be saved. Ultimately, we see Moses is saved by Pharaoh's own daughter. His biological mother was then conscripted to be his nurse uh, and to raise him for the first three years of his life until he was weaned. Then he was raised in Pharaoh's old household as a grandson of Pharaoh and for all intents and purposes was likely being raised, being the grandson of Pharaoh, to ultimately potentially be a Pharaoh himself one day. When he has grown up and was relatively mature, he was walking about the city and sees an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave and Moses' heart breaks and in a fit of righteous rage, he kills the Egyptian. 
After he realizes that his deeds have now been made known, he flees for his life, fearing his own grandfather, the Pharaoh, would have him killed in return. Long story short, he finds himself a bride and a loving father-in-law while wandering around the wilderness. One day, while he is out tending his father-in-law's flock of sheep, he finds himself upon Mount Sinai and sees something he finds extremely curious and in need of further investigation. He sees a bush that is engulfed in flames, yet not burning up at all. He draws closer to the burning bush and has a personal and powerful encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in which Adonai calls him out to be sent back to Egypt, the very place he ran for his own life from, calls him out to send him back to Egypt to oppose Pharaoh and lead Israel in mass exodus into freedom and ultimately into the promised land. After a series of back and forth arguments, which were followed by a series of excuses trying to get out of the gig, Moses finally gives up and gives in. And albeit I have grown to love my calling as a rabbi, I can completely empathize with Moses uh, and his back and forth arguing with God here because I did similar in arguing with him before finally accepting my calling to become a Messianic rabbi. In all of this, Moses complains about his communication skills and the Lord tells him with, uh, that Aaron, his brother, uh, will be his mouthpiece. And shortly after this initial encounter, Aaron then meets Moses at Mount Sinai and Moses gives him the full download of what the Lord has said. And this is where we pick up the story today as we look uh, at the reactions of Israel and Moses and these early stages of the preparation for the exodus of what would become the nation of Israel. If you have your scriptures, I want to encourage you, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 29. Again, that's Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 29. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that Adonai had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. When they heard that Adonai had remembered B'nai Israel and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Moses and Aaron make their way back to Egypt, and they gather all the elders of B'nai Israel together and relate to them everything that has happened and everything that the Lord has spoken to them. Imagine how difficult this must have been for Moses, though. Albeit for the first three years of his life, he was at home with his biological mother, and I'm sure she did what she could to teach him about the history and the purpose of the Israelites, but realistically, he was raised as an Egyptian, and more so as the grandson of Pharaoh. I'm sure that by now, Moses has gone for a hot minute at this point, uh, but by now, Mo the word of what Moses had done had spread through the children of Israel. This word about him killing the Egyptian and the encounter with his Hebrew challengers that ultimately caused him to run away from uh, his homeland. I'm sure that the leaders of Israel had some trepidation about trusting and following him on what could potentially be a suicide mission on what could be a genocidal scale. Yet, when Israel heard that Moses and Aaron had had to say what Moses and Aaron had to say, and, and they witnessed the signs and wonders that God instructed them to perform, is it resonated with them, and they became encouraged. They became excited. Verse thirty-one says again. So the people believed when they heard that Adonai had remembered Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, and had seen their afflictions. They bowed their heads and worshipped. There was an immediate reaction when Israel heard that God had heard their cries and seen their affliction and was going to bring them out from under the hand of the Egyptians. 
And the response was powerfully was powerful, especially considering that there is pretty much zero evidence that B'nai Israel hasn't hadn't assimilated into Egyptian culture up to this point. They immediately believed and began to worship God. They immediately chose to leave what they thought as assimilated into Egyptian culture, what they followed in terms of uh, Egyptian paganism uh, or likely did so. They immediately chose to forget all of that and to believe in the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to believe in his word, his promise of freedom to come and to worship him. They immediately began to turn their hearts toward him. And here's what's really interesting about this reaction from the elders of Israel. It is easy to believe before anything actually happens. Remember, up to this point, Moses and Aaron hadn't been to Pharaoh yet. They came directly from Mount Sinai to the elders of Israel first. So the Israelites have heard what God said. They have seen the signs and wonders right before their eyes. And they are on board and fully trusting I'm sure that there was a part of them that wholeheartedly believed that the very next day they would be walking gleefully out of Egypt with their freedom at no cost. But here's the thing. God never told Moses how long this whole thing was going to take. He simply told him that by his strong and mighty hand, he would free Israel from slavery to Egypt. But I'm pretty confident that Moses, Aaron, and the elders uh, all thought this was going to be a very quick turnaround of events. So when the elders thought they were going to be free of Egypt tomorrow, it was very easy to believe tonight. But God had far bigger plans. I don't know about you guys, but the reaction and the reasoning of the elders of Israel here really resonates with me. I think even as followers of Yeshua, we have the same tendencies. I can't count the number of times that I have gotten a vision or word from the Lord for my life personally or for my ministry in CMC that was such an encouragement and I thought was meant to be an immediate reality. And with that thought, it was super easy for me to buy in and get excited and to be on board with what God said was going to happen. But more often than not, we aren't considering the cost or the potential time frame required for this fulfillment. And when we haven't yet experienced the difficulties we will experience to see his fulfillment, it is always much easier to buy in and believe. But what happens when our expectation meets the reality of God's big picture plan? We go forward. So Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. All Israel is on board and excited for the reality of freedom from slavery. And they all assumed that it was going to happen right after Moses goes to Pharaoh. But things didn't quite go according to their expectations or according to their own plans. They're going according to God's plan, just not to the people's expectations. Moses and Aaron tell Pharaoh to let Israel go, and Pharaoh's fears of Israel turning against him have suddenly become a reality. He becomes angry, and he, he takes his anger and fear out on Israel. He increases their labor requirement. He reduces the supplies and provisions for labor success, and he makes their lives a living hell if they don't keep up. He is trying to break Israel's spirit and their faith. After Israel's expectations meets reality and God's timing and big picture plans, that's exactly what happens. Their spirits break and they come back to Moses and Aaron with fear, sorrow, and anger in their hearts and their cries. We read from Exodus 5 verse 20 and 21. Then they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came from Pharaoh. 
So they said to him, May Adonai look on you and judge, because you have made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, putting a sword in his hand to kill us. See, they were all an immediate prison. They were all in for an immediate prison break. If uh, it was easy to worship God in perfect faith when they assumed they were going to be free tomorrow. But when tomorrow approached and their expectations came into full collision with God's reality and the cost of their freedom, suddenly it was a little more difficult to believe in. As an interesting aside, Exodus 5.1 says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, This is what Adonai, God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. The Hebrew here in this verse says, Shalach etz ami, which is translated often as let my people go, but goes a little bit more intentional in this term in this terminology, in this term of shalach, because shalach means to send or to cast out. So it's not just let my people go in this passive sense, just you know, let them run, it'll be okay, just let them go. But that God is telling Pharaoh very prophetically, I am going to make you actively send or cast my people out of this land. This divinely inspired and intentional wording was in fact very intentional by God. He was not telling Pharaoh to simply let the nation of Israel walk out. No, he was forewarning that Adonai was going to cause Pharaoh to send them out with intention and purpose and in great haste. But in order to get to Shalach et Ami, God had to make Pharaoh want to get rid of Israel as fast and intentional as possible. So there was a bit of a sign early on that God's big picture plan was going to be different from that of the expectations of Israel. But all Israel could see because of their pain and anguish and suffering and slavery was their expectation uh, was that was their own expectations when they heard the word of God. God said, I'm going to let you be free. I'm going to free you from slavery in Egypt. And all they could see was immediacy. All they could see was the reality of freedom that they so longingly desired because of their suffering. But when it really hit and the going got tougher, Israel's faith buckled. Again, Exodus 5.21 says, So they said to them, to Moses and Aaron, May Adonai look on you and judge. Because you have made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. You've made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh. How quickly we lose memory of how bad things were already. And think about this. They do the same thing when we get into the wilderness, right? We, we make it through the, the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. We make it into freedom on our way to Sinai and ultimately the promised land. But we barely get on the other side of the water, the, the, the sea on dry ground. The waters barely crash over Pharaoh and his armies before Israel is on the other side going, we're hungry, we're thirsty. Man, we had it so good back in Egypt. We had food and meat to eat. We had all these great plethoras of delicacies to eat and, and water to drink and wine and what have you. But here we are and, and things are so horrible. How quickly we forget what it really was like before. Keep in mind, you and I are guilty of having the same reaction when the visions and promises God gives to us go according to His plans and not our own expectations. We are just as quick to turn on him and say, you said you were going to do X, Y, and Z, but you haven't done it yet. And look at how much of a mess things are now because I listened to you, God. When in reality, more often than not, what we perceived as the mess 
is really just a piece of the puzzle in God's big picture plan. And what we often don't realize is that when our faith buckles because things didn't immediately go according to our expectations or anticipation, uh, our reaction can have detrimental effects on the faith and spiritual walk of others, which is exactly what we see next. Israel worshiped God because they had believed the message Moses and Aaron brought them. And I think they, they did likely believe it wholeheartedly, but their belief was contingent upon their expectations being met. But when reality meets expectations and things didn't quite play out the way that they had mentally anticipated in their hearts, they wavered and lambasted Moses and Aaron for it. They cried out to Moses, who do you think you are? You come here and, and you get our hopes up and, and for what? Nothing. That's what. You have made us hated by Pharaoh and are going to cause us to be killed. Leave us alone and let well enough be. Their lives, uh, their lives were already in danger because Pharaoh feared their size, their numbers, and clear divine blessing that he sensed upon them. He feared they would one day rise in insurrection. Heck, he tried to make Israel kill all their baby boys at birth just to stop them from growing anymore. And now Moses stands before him, telling, him, telling them that God, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent him to demand the freedom of Israel. Pharaoh's greatest fears have suddenly become a reality. And despite the fact that Israel had it rough already, he makes it even worse on them. And because Israel was so wrapped up in their own expectations of how God should fulfill his promises, they had completely forgotten how bad things were before, and that Pharaoh's sudden increase of burden on them wasn't anything new, nor did it really change their circumstances any. Just a few, month, few years before this, he was trying to off the entire nation, and now he's just making their workload a little harder. And because of their wavering faith, they couldn't see that God had a bigger picture in works. And in turning the wavering of Israel, uh, of Israel's faith and the broken hearts standing before him caused a slight wavering of Moses' faith. And he, came, he comes back to God with, a, with a, an anger and pain in his heart because of what has transpired. But his own anger and pain caused him to also not realize that God had a bigger picture in the works as well. And in his pain, he cries out with his own broken heart. Adonai, why have you brought evil on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought evil on these people. You have not delivered your people at all. This is Exodus uh, uh, 5 verses 22 and 23. It says, ever since... Uh, I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. He has brought evil on this people. You have not delivered your people at all, at all. Moses says, you have not kept up your end of the bargain. What in the world is wrong with you? How could you, how could you do this to us? How could you make this happen? How could you treat us this way? How could you do this to your people? I find it amazing that every year as I read through Exodus and the Torah cycle, I can so easily see myself in Moses' shoes. 
at least in terms of his humanity in response to the ups and downs of his calling. I imagine that when Moses saw Israel, uh, how Israel reacted initially, when he and Aaron told them all that had happened on Sinai and all that God had spoken and showed them the signs and wonders prescribed, that they immediately fell in worship of Adonai and believed that his faith and belief was in fact encouraged by their reaction. I can almost imagine the look on his face when it happened, and, and I imagine it's something like Coach Herman Boone's face from the movie Remember the Titans when his team, you know, he's thrust into this uh, situation with uh, a, a team that's not getting along. There's major uh, racial tensions among the team, and they, they can't work together as one, and so he takes them to this camp, uh, this football camp that, that he put on for a couple of uh, weeks, and in the process, of this, they're just bickering back and forth and fighting and arguing, and, and nothing's going according to plan, so one day he wakes them all up and he takes them all on this run and as they're on this run he goes to take them out what ends up being to Gettysburg Cemetery and at the cemetery there he begins to explain to them everything that these men and women who are buried in this cemetery were there what they died for as they fought the civil war and as they died for the, the the ability for these guys to be able to play together and so on and you can see instantly as he's telling them all of this that it's tugging at their heartstrings and and that this is a breaking point and something changes in their hearts and lives and and so as they're doing so all of a sudden things change and then they get back to practice. They get back to the game uh, itself in their regular season and, and everything's clicking and going the way it should. And, and Coach Herman Boone's got this huge smile on his face because not that he did anything miraculous or great or whatever, but that things are finally coming together and these racial tensions that kept them divided and separated have now finally brought them back together again through the work that he put in. And they're no longer angry and fearful of each other, but instead they're in unity together and working together. And I imagine when, when the elders in Israel fell on their face and worshiped before God because they heard the words God spoke through Moses and Aaron, that Moses had a similar look of happiness, of excitement, of anticipation on his face of what the heart of these people could potentially do. But after Israel's reaction to the workload increase and their failed expectations, Moses' heart and faith have now wavered also. And he is now taking their anger and pain and throwing it back in the face of God. I felt this time and time again as a Messianic rabbi. When God gives me a vision for our synagogue and we get on fire for what he has shown us is, is coming up and then it doesn't quite happen as fast or quite as we had expected or anticipated, I have had numerous conversations with God where I was griping and complaining because he said X, Y, and Z and none of that has happened yet or, or only portions have or whatever else. And, and God in his infinite wisdom and, and patience and love wraps his embrace around me, calming my broken heart and tells me, you are looking only at the immediate. Sure, you are excited for and believe in what I have said I'm going to do, but you are waiting for it to happen as you expect and in your, in your time frame. It isn't just about CMC or our expectations. I'm trying to do so much more through you and through CMC. So be patient, relax, and trust me. I promise you I'm at work. I am doing something great in this. And in my timing, everything will come together perfectly. Just trust me. I've got this. 
Imagine this is something akin, I imagine this is something akin to how the conversation with Moses and Adonai went here as well. Moses cries out, God, why did you send me here? Why did you make me get these people's hopes up for nothing? You haven't delivered these people at all. In fact, you've only made things worse for them. And God replies to Moses with a big picture response in Exodus 6.1. Adonai said to Moses, now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. But by way of a strong hand, he will let them go and drive them out of this land. Now that, now that Israel and Moses' expectations are out of the way, God says he can now do what, he, what has been his plan all along. Not just for Pharaoh to let Israel go passively, but for Pharaoh to drive them out actively out of his land so that God might, God's might and power may be known. And in the process, God will prove to the known world that he is the one and only true God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and only God of all creation. Keep in mind that God is all-knowing. All three reactions, Israel's belief and worship at the word of Moses Israel's outlashing uh, through their pain and anguish at crushed expectations, and Moses' brokenheartedness Israel is now going through. We're all a part of God's big picture plan. This doesn't mean that God couldn't have done what he was planning on doing without it, nor does it mean that he wanted them to act in such a way. If they had simply stuck with their response, their initial reaction, and, and just continued to worship God, even through the headaches they now were experiencing, things would have been different. This doesn't mean that God couldn't have done what he was planning on doing without their reactions, but he foreknew exactly what each reaction would be and planned to use them for his purposes. You and I are guilty of the same roller coaster like reactions to God's revelation of His plans and promises for our lives. It is so easy for us to believe instantaneously when God says He's about to do something and we develop our own expectations of how that will happen all before anything actually occurs. But when things go, don't go according to our plans and expectations, in other words, when God doesn't do things our way, we become enraged at him for letting us down, as opposed to allowing him the room to do what he desires to do and to trust that he is in control and will be faithful to his promises. And as a result, our reaction to not getting our own, uh, our, our own way can wreak havoc on the faith of others as they see our sulkiness, our defeatist mentality, our lack of faith in God's faithfulness. But notice, through all of this, God's faithfulness, in fact, never changed. God's big picture plans never changed. The only thing that was on shaky ground was the faith of his people. What would happen if we stopped trying to dictate through our expectations how and when a move of God should occur, and we just allowed him the space to do what he says he's going to do? We could truly change the world. Think about it. What has the Lord said He is going to do in our lives that our expectations continue to get in the way of? That our negative reactions to His big picture timing get in the way of? When He tells us our non-believing family is going to come to faith in Yeshua and we immediately rejoice and worship God for His faithfulness and then it doesn't happen the way we expect or as fast as we hoped, 
And we become angry with God and, and our faith rocks a little bit and we begin to throw it back in God's face. But you said, what would things look like if when he promises stuff like this, our revival or breakthrough like this or revival or breakthrough or whatever else, if we simply believed and got out of his way, simply allowing him to use us as he desires and allowing him to bring us Big, bring his big picture plans together as he desires rather than as our finite human hearts and minds expect. How much heartache could we save ourselves in our own faith by simply trusting in his plan and timing? How many lives could we encourage by never getting to a state of broken faith because God didn't do something our way? And likewise, how many lives could we touch for the kingdom of Messiah because we simply waited patiently on the Lord and His timing? In the same manner, the body of Messiah has spent 2,000 years trying to determine and dictate through our own human expectation how and when Messiah will return. And I wholeheartedly believe that Yeshua will return soon and may it be in our days. But how many lives have been turned away from Yeshua because we got discouraged and walked away from Yeshua when he, his return didn't happen according to our plans or expectations? I think of things like the book 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988 or a few years back when people were putting up billboards all over the country saying that Yeshua was coming back at a certain time and day and then they were all selling all their stuff and gathering together for these huge awaiting parties or whatever they were calling them in preparation for his return and and it hadn't happened according to their plans and expectations. And many of them completely walked away from the Lord because of it. How many lives have we missed leading to salvation because we are so focused on our own expectations of what God's going to do and when rather than on trusting in God's big picture plans? Let's give the Lord room to do his job according to his big picture plans. And let's make sure we are focused on our part of that big picture, which is the Great Commission. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you for your blessing, for your might, for your power, for your love that you pour out upon your people, Lord. We thank you that you are ever faithful to us, even when we are not being faithful to you. Father, I thank you that despite our fears or concerns, despite our lack of understanding of what you're going to do and how, that you, Lord, move mightily and powerfully in our lives at all times. And that if we simply trust in you and wait faithfully and fervently for your move, that you will do everything you have promised to do for us and in us. Lord, I pray that as we uh, uh, rest through the rest of this Shabbat and as we focus our time and our energy and our hearts upon you and your presence, that you will begin to bolster our faith, to trust fervently in your promises, to know that you will do everything you said you were going to do, and that it doesn't matter how we uh, react or respond to what's going on in relation to our expectations and desires, but God, you are in complete control. Teach us, Lord, to humble ourselves and to rely upon you, and to not try and get in your way, to simply flow as you lead, and to follow your direction every step of the way. 
Lord, I thank you for the revelation of freedom, redemption, and salvation that you are portraying to us through the narrative of the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and the fulfillment of your promise of taking us into the promised land. Lord, I thank you of the prophetic reality that that is in pointing us to Yeshua, our Messiah, who in fact has freed us from bondage to slavery and sin and has freed us to walk faithfully and fervently in your promises, Lord. Father, I ask that you will breathe new life into us and that we will, in fact, pick up the burden of the Great Commission, which is a easy and light yoke to carry because it is your yoke, Lord. And it is a calling you have placed on our hearts and our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that as you begin to reveal further promise and revelation to us of what you desire for our own personal lives, for our congregations, for the body of Messiah as a whole, that you will encourage us, that you will humble us, that we are able to follow along in your leading, your timing, and trust in your big picture, understanding and recognizing that we can't see it all and we can't know it all, but you do. Father, I thank you that you love and cherish your people so much that you did in fact faithfully redeem and restore Israel out of slavery in Egypt and that you have in fact redeemed and restored uh, our people through Israel's promised Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, and that your promise is true that all Israel will be saved and proclaimed Baruch Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, ushering in the return of our Messiah. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, Amen and Amen.